Well, uh, it is great to be here. Um, I could probably say the same thing about Chris and being among you guys over the years. Uh, you guys have actually supported us about 14 years, I think. I was just looking through the, through the uh, financial records. <laughs> you guys have uh, been very generous to us for many years, and I think it was $35,000 over those 14 years. I was just kind of blown away when I saw it. And so just thank you. Uh, super thankful, and it's good to be here. Uh, one of my favorite books uh, that I've read over the years is Pilgrim's Progress. And um, I, think, I think I figured out why I liked it over the years, because it kind of has that effect on me of, okay, these things are serious, <laughs> and life is serious, and you don't always get that from everywhere you go, and sometimes even the churches you go to. And uh, you guys have that effect on me, this church and Chris and Steve and just talking with you guys. And that's such an encouragement. It's just been consistently that way for so many years. So it's just really great to be here. Um, yeah, I just wanted to give you guys an update of what we're doing um, and then kind of share from Ephesians 5. So if you want to stick your thumb there, we'll eventually get there. But let's look at this. Um, first of all, I just want to do a, let's see if I can get the volume up. Okay, we'll see how it goes. You guys can turn it up if it needs to be. Just a, a video, just a quick video, kind of showing what Wycliffe does, the organization that we work with. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we're about uh, in a nutshell. We'll talk more of the specifics of how that's looked. Um, this is our family. You can kind of see them live and in pixelated form up there. Uh, my wife's Ruth um, met in school in Dallas, and uh, we're doing studying linguistics to do kind of what we do. And uh, we have our five kids, John, Sam. Uh, John is about to turn 15, so it is still correct. Uh, Lois, Frida, and Ruby, and so that's who we are. Most of our kids were born in Dallas, um, except Frida, who was born in Cameroon, and she likes to tell everybody she is an American-African. Uh, here's some Bible translation stats, um, just to kind of get at a situation of, to understand linguistically what's going on in the world, the diversity, like 7,300 languages. These are distinct languages, uh, languages with their own dialects, so not the difference between, I don't know, New Jersey English and Greenville English, um, but those counted as one language, uh, mutually intelligible. So these are, is a great diversity of the world. Uh, more than 700 of those have lang languages have a full Bible. 1,200 have some portions. Uh, more than 1,400 languages still need Bible translation work started for the first time. Um, 1,600 languages among Bogoto, one of the languages we just worked with. So that number can, these are all rounded figures. Uh, the latest figures, but obviously everything is divisible by 100 here. Uh, but just give you an idea. So yeah, so one of the languages that we work with is just publishing the New Testament and Psalms after many years. And also 380 known sign languages. Um, uh, we know some of our friends who are our neighbors at one point was a translator for the ASL, the American Sign Language Translation. They just finished, which is the full, I think the first full Bible in a sign language ever in history. And so that's kind of the situation, kind of give you a, a what's going on globally, linguistically, and as far as Bible translation movement. And in the Bible translation world, there's a kind of a extraordinary unity among organizations. Uh, like they share money, they share resources. These are hundreds of organizations that are globally. Um, I, I just got to say that because it's kind of an extraordinary thing, <laughs> kind of mission work, where you have people sharing standards, sharing the way that they're going to do it, um, and resources, and helping each other in many ways you can. There's an, there is an unprecedented, I've never seen, unity among Bible translation organizations to um, tackle this issues of making sure that people can have it in a language that understands and fits them best. Uh, we work in Central African Republic, um, there it is. You can kind of see down there. I think I found a, a laser pointer. Did I find a laser? Oop. Yes, I will get the laser pointer. Okay, so you can kind of see down here um, where it is in the world. It's kind of small as far as where it is in Africa. Uh, it's about Texas sized, the size of as far as land area. About five plus million people. So a lot of that is just untouched African uh, savanna and uh, 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 rainforest. It's a very unstable politically area. It's the fourth worst on the UN Human Development Index, and that's an index that 
kind of analyzes the, I don't know, the economic well-being and education uh, situation, and it's just one of the more challenging places because of, you know, flowing from the instability there. So that's kind of where we uh, have lived. Uh, 70, this is another, so you can kind of get an idea here. You can kind of look at the southwest portion, and this next map is a linguistic map of all the different languages that are there. So here's uh, the corner of it. And so the languages we work with are just kind of through here. Uh, Banda, Manu, Bogoto, and Baya. So these are 72 distinct languages, each with their own dialectal variations. So very, very linguistically complex areas. And, there, and especially in our area, there are languages that aren't dying out. Uh, that's one of the interesting things about Central African Republic. These languages are very vital and being passed on uh, uh, to the next generations. People are very proud of their languages, and that, that can change in different parts of, uh, of Africa and, of course, all around the world, where language death is a you know, significant reality, where people are just not teaching it to their kids. But in CAR, that is a... Interesting phenomena, it is just definitely not the case where we are. Um, here's a picture of people we both know. Um, you guys up there, you know, Andre Ndangabeng, who is right there, and his wife. And there's Ruth. This is about a year ago. And there's Mari Ellen. I don't know if you know Mari Ellen, who's taking care of orphans. And there's Moise right there. Um, you guys support them and are so faithful in that. And literally, Moise right there, he's starting his first day of preschool. And truly, because of you guys, he's there. Uh, in an, that's not an exaggeration. He uh, is able to have the money to be able to be taken care of because of what you guys give. And so, Moise says thanks, I'm sure, and uh, Maria Lynn as well. And so, they send greetings and thanks all the time. Uh, and Andre, uh, of course, is Andre. He's always just lovely and great and positive. Um, and hearing some more about how you guys are trying to help him to train uh, to continue doing church planning work. And uh, I just can't say anything, but that's just wonderful and lovely. Um, so yes, and so we kind of, they got to know us, th- you guys got to know them through us, and uh, so we we're just always so happy that that's happened uh, because these are just much wor- worthy people, lovely people to support. Uh, what are we doing in general? Uh, just to kind of give you an idea, okay, we work with Wycliffe, we work in Central Africa, well, what do we do? Uh, I am a translation consultant, that's what I've was in seven <laughs> years of apprenticeship under a guy named Christoph Müller, and uh, he sounds, he is as severe as he sounds. Uh, not really, he's, he's a pastor and lovely, but he is Swiss and he's, you know, you, you know what he's thinking. Um, he doesn't sugarcoat it. Uh, worked with him, and I worked with four translation teams, uh, Bogoto, or Bogoto, Manja, Baya, and Banu. Uh, these are all related languages in the Gbaya language family. So these are related, they are different, they are seen as different, and the research has shown that as well. Uh, but these are four different projects as well that I tend to work with. I work with as a part of the team in the quality assurance process. So right now, uh, next week, I'm gonna be doing a check on the second half of Genesis with Bogoto, with the new Old Testament project that's starting with them. Um, uh, same work, once in person, now mainly remotely. We live there. Um, we no longer live there, nor can we return because of the security situation in the country. Um, one of the things that they've tried right before COVID was to try to work remotely with teams, and they're able to tweak the internet enough to where it works almost all of the time, <laughs> that we can get a Skype call in and do our checking processes and working with the teams, and also working remotely within the software program that we use. Um, which doesn't require much bandwidth. Uh, so it's mainly text that we're working with, and also mainly remotely in that, love to go back. I was just there last May uh, working with some teams, and uh, so it's, it's, it's plan on you know, making trips, and the security protocols allow temporary trips uh, with one of the parents <laughs> at a time. Uh, combined population of these three communities are around a million people, which is roughly 20% of the population of CAR. Languages that we work with, the bio-language families, are sort of the dominant groupings where we are, so there's much more uh, people uh, make up those. Uh, and also Ruth uh, teaches and nurtures us all every day in homeschool and everyday life, as I often like to say, is keeps us clothed and in our right minds. Um, and we're so thankful. Uh, she was gone away for last week for a trip, and 
that great reminder of how impoverished our lives are, not just in the you know, quality of the cooking, but also just in general, how much we receive from her. Um, here is just kind of a celebrated note. Um, uh, it's the title page on the left, Ben Ben Noton, Inegumo'o, that literally, literally is, if you break down the compound word, the new blood drinking <laughs> and the songs, which their term for covenant is a blood drinking, but it's, it's, it matches quite well with the biblical context, actually. It's their word for covenant. Uh, so the new covenant and the psalms. And on the right, we have uh, you know, a picture from uh, uh, Psalm, I'm sorry, Acts 27, in there with the shipwreck scene with Paul, which is one of my favorite illustrations, so it's a good show. Um, so the manuscript was sent off on September 1st. It was uh, about 15 years of work. And the printers to South Korea, hopefully to be printed, received, and dedicated within a year. We hope, Ruth and I hope to go to Carnot and be a part of that celebration uh, with the churches there. All the denominations will be celebrating that. So thank you for all that work. That's a lot of work uh, that's, that's shown in, uh, in that, and it's exciting. So what are we doing in specific? Um, I work with these four teams. So the Bogoto, pray for the Old Testament project. We're check, checking Genesis, second half of Genesis, maybe next week, depending if I <laughs> get finished with this other team. So yeah, pray for that. And where we go, we comb through verse by verse um, with a control group. So we have somebody from the community who wasn't involved in the translation project, even preferably someone who doesn't know the Bible very well. And then we have the text is read out loud and then they back translate it into Sango or French for me. And then we ask questions to see what is this translation communicating or is it not communicating? So we have someone who's just blank page, more or less, who hasn't been involved. The translators can't be doing, used in this process because they've already studied the passage and they'll probably just give the right answer. And we try not to have pastors because they tend to know right answers anyways. So we try to get someone who's just a control group and we test it and we go through phrase by phrase, verse by verse, making sure that this is communicating the truth and the reality, uh, or that it can. <laughs> it's a little bit of a complicated thing. But yes, that's, that's what we're doing. So, so pray for that. Starting the Old Testament project, which just, just started, uh, we quietly, we just got the word we're funding and we've already been drafting a lot from the Old Testament uh, and we're just starting. We're just you know, hitting the ground running and we're excited about that. Especially now because it's a new team. This is the team actually, there's a Bogota team in the background. Um, Old Testament projects just roll along so much quicker. All of the, the groundwork has been laid. Uh, the analysis for the writing system has been perfected. Everything has worked. The translators are more experienced and we just find a, a good rhythm and roll with it. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, Manja, this is another related language. Next 18 months are pre-publication tasks before the New Testament publication. So right now, I'm going through 1,500 different words in the New Testament uh, to make sure that they're translating these consistently and spelling them consistently. I don't know if you look at old English Bibles <laughs> where uh, the spelling isn't, wasn't completely established and standardized in English, and you can see there's variant spellings, and well, that's the situation we have with our languages too. Uh, so translating them consistently where they should and spelling and all that kind of is. So that's just one of the tasks I'm just trying to slowly chip away at the last month and a half um, because each term may have, you know, 50 or 60 terms or, or one or two, depending. So, uh, Baya, this is the language that we initially worked with. Uh, now the Old Testament project has been restarted and uh, the translators have been selected and they're gonna be starting some of their formal training, which is in uh, a neighboring country in Cameroon, in Yaoundé. So pray for that. This is a special, exciting time. So three new translators, two guys have been chosen. Uh, Banu is a new team. Um, we just finished checking the Jesus film. Have you ever heard of the Jesus film? It's kind of like something from the 70s. But uh, yeah, the Jesus film, we've been, they've translated the script, which is almost entirely taken from Luke. And so we are working on that. And they just got a new updated writing system from our linguists, and so now they're having to standardize all the stuff they've already translated. But it's been really good that they updated it because it was very ambiguous and hard to read, or people were just coming up with wrong interpretations because of the, the limits of that writing system. And uh, again, thank you guys so much. All this kind of work, it's just this quiet work that you might just touch a million people in profound ways, where there are churches, and a lot of times, 
people not understanding the gospel really well because it's in a language that's a trade language that people have varying degrees of ability in. And so often we come back from church and we were in, in, in uh, we had uh, some Central African friends who lived, and after they came after church and they go, how was the sermon? And they're like, oh, it was great. That's what everyone always says after a sermon. They go, oh, everything's great. They say that in America too, uh, most of the time. And they said, oh, that's great. It's like, what was it about? And they're like, you know, it's kind of hard to understand. And that was such a common thing. Or like, I didn't understand it, or I kind of got the gist. And that's kind of what people's experiences are of the scriptures, is kind of getting the gist, but not understanding it in a way, in a language that is most clear to them. Um, all right. Um, so pray for us. Um, we are transitioning. We now live in North Carolina. I can work remotely, so it was one of these things where I could live right beside my parents, uh, where I grew up, which is great, and we really enjoy being beside my parents the first time ever, and at a good time, probably, because my parents are starting to get a little older. They're quite active, but it, it's just good to be there um, uh, during this time as they're getting older, and to experience the blessing of being them. They're easy to get along with. They're believers. It's, it's, it's great. Um, and so pray for all the translation team in CAR. Uh, there's just loads of challenges. It's, there's a reason that we're not allowed to raise families there, um, which makes sometimes me feel guilty, but it also, it's just a hard place to be. And so, and there's lots of challenges. Um, it's just, yeah, second in infant mortality in the world. And I forgot what it was, maybe 848 children die per 100,000. It's just so much higher than in so many other places uh, because of just infrastructure is just so, so wretchedly poor there. Um, so yeah, pray, pray for them. Pray for the brothers there um, and our sisters there. Um, provision, protection, encouragement. That, that's a real thing. So thank you for praying for them. I saw them up there. Pray for them. Um, they're some of the most lovely people, like Maria Lenz, like my mom in Central African Republic. Just so much wiser. I want to be like her when I grew up. Um, so that's kind of the um, situation. That's sort of the update. Uh, we're going to move now to the sermon bit. This is a smooth transition, right? Um, and if you have any questions, um, feel free to ask. We're gonna, we're, we brought some rolls, and we're going to be eating with you guys afterwards and, and some butter. So if you guys just... Uh, Get some bowls, or some rolls, and some butter, and just hang out with us. We'd love to, uh, you know, answer any questions or chat. It's just so fun. I'm glad we came on this Sunday, not only because it feeds our five children, but it's good to be here. But before we start, um, let's just pray real quick. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, I don't normally teach week to week, like Steve and Chris and Ben and all these guys. Um, so, I get to choose a sermon occasionally. And the reason I chose this sermon, I, I just will say very openly, is because it's the verse that's, verses that have grabbed me recently and have been able to do kind of a deep dive in that touch all our lives. And I throw on their missions because it is kind of a missions update, right? But this is something that is given to us all in these passages. So let's uh, look at Ephesians 5. Verses 15 through 21. Hear then what Holy Scripture says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, that is debauchery or dissipation. The idea is something of rotting, is the idea. And if your life rots, some translations have said, this will ruin your life. And that's close to it. So don't get drunk with wine if you want your life to rot. But be filled with the Spirit, 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the thing that we're looking at is to be filled with the Spirit. So if you like outlines ahead of time, you can know how things are progressing. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. Um, What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? We're gonna look at that. We're gonna look at the passage, and especially the structure here is actually important. So I'm gonna get a little bit of grammar. Don't be afraid of grammar. It's where the great things in life are found. And if you've ever had you know, an argument with some member of your family, grammar is taken into account. What you said, you didn't say that. You said actually this. Um, and the grammar comes out. And that's why it's important also to study here. So what does it mean? We're gonna be looking at the structure. What does it mean, what does it doesn't mean? And then we're gonna, I'm getting a little, showing my hand a little bit what I think it means. We're gonna reverse the engineers, uh, the spirits in result. So what is being poured? We're gonna be looking at that. So do we understand how does the spirit work in our life? And then, how do you do it? Okay, so that's, that's, that's the three things we're gonna look at. Okay, so we're gonna be looking at uh, this phrase. Look in verse, um, I'm sorry. Look at verse, uh, <laughs> verse 18, I'm sorry. And it says, be filled, there's different translations, so say, with the Spirit. So there's two things in here, and I'm trying not to belabor it because so um, that we are not completely droned out here, but we have two things. It's what we call a passive command. So it's what we call the passive voice. I don't know if you guys remember this. You homeschooler moms probably know exactly what this is, but it is basically, does the subject of a sentence do the action, like I hit the wood, okay? I'm the subject, I'm hitting what? That, okay? Now, if someone come up here and grab this pulpit and whack me over the side of the head, I could say, I, the subject, was hit by the wood. So I am receiving the action, I'm not doing the thing. I'm receiving it, okay? And so this is one of these things in Greek grammar that we don't actually have in English. It's called a passive imperative. It's telling you to do something. An imperative is, I'm telling you to do it, right? Like when you're learning a new language and you're around a family, you learn all the imperative forms because all the moms are like, stop, don't do that, no, go over there, no, don't touch that, stop hitting them. You say you learn stop, stop, don't, don't, don't. You learn all these really quick if you're around families. And so, but this is a passive command. So it's this idea of do something so that something will happen to you. It's kind of a weird idea. They have, I mean, we have ways of expressing that in English, but it's, you know, a phrase. For them, it's just, in Greek, just the way the language functions, you have one, you have one word. It's this kind of idea of, uh, so we have a passive command and a pouring metaphor. So we are commanded to do something so that something is done to us, okay? And what is the thing? Look down to verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. So do something so that the Spirit is filling you. We'll talk about that. It's, so it's not passive in that we just don't do anything. We're, we're commanded to do something, right? You don't, you don't just sit there and wait for the Spirit to change us in some mystical way, like we start shaking and then suddenly I'm nice to my sister a little bit better, you know? That's not the way it works in Christian life, is it? You are actively doing something, but so that something can happen to you. We don't wield the spirit. We don't take them and just do what we want. When you read in Psalm 115, that's actually the way Yahweh shows that he's different than the idols. Because what are idols? If you do the right thing, you make the right sacrifice, you do the right words, you say the right words, you can control that idol. You can get the thing that you want from him. But in Psalm 115, he says, but our God is in the heavens, and he does what? Whatever he pleases. Remember in, remember in uh, the Narnia series? Remember the times when Aslan growls at the children when he's not pleased with what they do? Several times it's when they think that they can control him. And our God's not like that. You don't wield the spirit like you pick up your hammer. But you do do something 
so that he does something to you. And we'll be talking about that. And so we have, we're commanded to do something so that something is done to us. And then we have a pouring metaphor, being filled. Now it is a metaphor, right? You are not actually containers. Uh, there's not liquid being poured in us. And uh, there's not something that the spirit is pouring. So what is the metaphor all about? What is it saying? The pouring metaphor, there's three elements. Someone who is pouring, makes certain enough sense. When I think of pouring from a pitcher, I always think as a kid, when a pitcher, and the only pitcher we had was always filled with tropical punch Kool-Aid. Okay, so we have this pouring, right, into a cup, and then there's what's being poured. Now everyone thinks, definitely what's being poured, or the container of the cup is us. Someone who is pouring, and what is being poured. That's where we have some differences in translation, or in even teaching and understanding of this passage. Um... Here's what it is. I'm going to tell you what it is. <laughs> then I'm going to show you why I think it is. Uh, someone who is pouring is the Spirit. The Spirit is the one pouring into you. It's clear in Greek grammar. For you Greek nerds, play ra'o with n, with a date of construction, always, it's always this person who is pouring, not what is being poured. So you don't, you're not a quart low on the Spirit and you get filled up, exactly. That's not what it's saying here. It's this idea of do something so that the Spirit is pouring into you. Now what's being poured, it's not the Spirit, and it's not explicitly mentioned in this passage, although we'll get to that a little bit as well, a little later. So basically, if we're gonna kind of do a little translation thing here just for English, just for our preaching purposes, I don't know if I would allow this in, in a translation, <clears throat> but make it so that it's the Spirit that is filling you and not something else. I just added that for a preaching point. Make it so that it's the spirit that is filling your life, and not something else, because we're constantly being poured. I ever, my boys just went hiking, up, much to their mother's chagrin, up a waterfall. And if you put a cup under one of these, cask- not a big one, but one of these cascading waterfalls that's near our house, and if you put a cup under there, right, and that fills up, what's gonna keep happening? The water's gonna keep pouring it under if you're under that shelf, right? That's kind of what life is for us. We're constantly being filled by something, always. And it seems here that Paul is saying, you have some degree of choice about what you choose to be filling you. Now we know even that is animated by God and spirit, but there is this idea in which, what are you doing? We'll talk about that, I'm getting ahead of myself. Spontaneous waterfall illustrations. So, what we're going to do now is, what are the results, okay? Uh, What I want to say here, now look down at the passage, he says, be filled with the Spirit, and look in verse 19. In a lot of translations, we have what we call parsiples here, I-N-G words. You ever see, look down at all the verbs in your text there, 19. Addressing one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making Melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to the God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this is a fairly little trans- literal translation because they have these parsiples, kind of a combination between a verb and a noun, but it's this ing, and it's basically this structure in Greek. All right? How many of you guys have ever seen the movie Independence Day? Remember Will Smith back when he was just punching aliens and not punching people at events. Well, in that story, you have basically, it's an alien invasion story, right? And you have this big mothership, and out of the big mothership comes little tiny, I don't know, shiplets. I don't know what they are. Little tiny daughter nodes. I don't know what they are. And they're going around. They're the ones going around shooting the big lasers and destroying people, and, 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 you know. And Will's got to stop him. He's the pilot. And so what does he do? How does he destroy there's no way they can destroy it. Like they spend all their you know, F-16s or whatever it is and they get destroyed and there's one left. What are they gonna do? How do they destroy all the little baby ships? You gotta get the mothership because they're all connected to the mothership, right? Now, this passage grammatically is like Independence Day. In this text, Paul's trying to get you to do something and in Greek, the main, if you're trying to get your kid to do something, what do you do? 
Don't do it. You give them an imperative. It's like the main one. That's kind of the idea here. The mothership is the imperative, right? This is a common Greek structure, right? You have this imperative, be filled with the Spirit. Make it so that's the Spirit that's filling you. And then we have all these little parsiples. And the Greek structure is basically all those little things there are connected to that main one. That's all I'm trying to say, okay? Mothership, babyship. And so to say that these things are not disconnected in Paul's mind. And what he's going to say, and without going too much detail, is when you are filled by the Spirit, when it's the Spirit that's filling you, these kinds of things happen. This is the result. These aren't further commands to do things. This is being filled with, be filled with the Spirit. And then what's gonna happen from this is these kinds of things that are following. Um, there you go, connect to the mothership, imperative, be filled. This is showing what the results are. So the structure is the way that Paul is saying, this is what a life that the Spirit has filled looks like. It's interesting. It's interesting when you go through that list, right? Um, first, before we say what the results are, let's see what they're not. Miracles, speaking in tongues, visions, and dreams, all things which God did to Paul. <laughs> he did through Paul, right? All is said by someone who did or experienced all these things by the work of the Spirit. But the first things that tumble off Paul's mind when you say, well, this is someone who's really been controlled by the Spirit, has this, this influence of the Spirit in life, they do these things. It's fascinating, isn't it? And of course, God does do those things in certain ways, in certain times. But this is exactly, I mean, he said to the Corinthians, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than all of you. <laughs> he did. And he also had visions and dreams and healed people through the power of the Spirit. But he's saying when someone is really changed by the Spirit, what do they do? What does it look like? And these are just the things that pop off his, the end of his pen. Singing together. Singing to yourself. We'll talk about that. Fascinating idea. You sing to yourself. You have a thankful heart for all things. Amazing. You submitting to one another. So let's reverse the engineers, the spirits in result. So we have, okay, person who is filled, is the spirit's filling them, they look like this. Here's the end result. Well, what is the spirit doing? That was kind of my question we're doing. Well, how does that work? I mean, it's not mystical where you're suddenly changed. What's going on? There's some kind of understanding that's happening. When Paul's talking about speaking to people, uh, in, in the passages are talking about being tongues. He said, I'd rather speak one word in a language someone understands <laughs> than speak, you know, whatever, 10,000 words in, in, in a tongue. Why? Because the Spirit works in normal human ways of understanding things. Now, he helps. We'll, we'll talk about that. But he works through a language that people understand. That's why we do Wycliffe. <laughs> because, well, why doesn't the Spirit just help them understand English? You just preach in English. Because that's not the way he's working. That's not the way God has set it up. So what is the Spirit doing in our minds when the Spirit that's filling us that we act like this? And so I'm gonna kind of reverse engineering. So what's reverse engineering? Um, I was hearing the story of, <laughs> uh, I think it was Gucci. Is Gucci any of these fancy purse designers and other things? Ladies may know what you're talking about, I don't know. None of us, I'm sure, looking at all of us can probably afford a real Gucci purse, right? And so in Paris, we're the official Gucci people are and their official few purses that they make really fancy like tens of thousands of dollars probably and so what they there are people who go in with the money from their company usually in China and purchase one of these Gucci purses and what do they do they take it back to China and they take that amazing purse and they start taking it apart so they can study it they kind of look at it and go okay they're using this material here they made this connection here. Oh, the flap for the closing of the purse, they do it this way. Ooh, it's made of this kind of thing. They study it by taking it apart. They take an end result, take it apart, and then understand something about how it was made and how it got to be where it was. Make sense? Reverse engineer it. Why? Because usually so they can make a fake and sell it to some rich Chinese businessman who's getting something for his wife who doesn't know he's getting a fake, right? Or maybe he does and he's just glad he's playing less. Hope his wife doesn't notice. So that's the idea. So let's look at, here's the results of the Spirit. How does he get that? How does the Spirit do that? And I think 
the point, of, the reason I'm doing this is so that we can understand what is the Spirit day-to-day doing in our lives? So you can have healthy expectations and a true understanding of when you finally change in your life, it's miraculous. In any way. Like the few times this week where I chose not to be angry at my kids and respond you know, smart aleck or something in my mouth. And I've not done that. It's a miracle. God is incredibly working. Like if you saw someone, you know, talking about their amazing dream where they're taken up to the third heaven, you're like, dude, that's kind of amazing. You should kind of think that way when people are changing by God's grace. That's one thing. But so we can see what it is. So I'm gonna tell you what I think is going on. So I'm gonna, I've already done the reverse engineering. I've taken apart the purse and you can see whether I was right or not. But I have this somewhat long statement that's going to be repeated throughout. And then we're going to reverse engineer each one of those results. Sound good? And then we're going to do how do we do that. All right? The great work of the Spirit is that he enables us to see all of life through the lens of the gospel. We are saved eternally solely by grace, by Jesus giving his life for us. A grace that is so significant and wonderful is what he makes it significant and wonderful, by the way. That's part of his great work not just something stupid or irrelevant. That we consider the others who have been found by the same grace to be our family. Our boys are starting scouts. And uh, we go there. I don't know if any of the adult leaders are believers, and we went on this camp out. And it was fun. I I enjoyed hanging out with them. They're interesting, fun people. And none of them are believers, but they talk about their scout family. And the people, they're so significant in their lives. And they're the post, people who do the most scouting kind of training as adults to help kids along, which is great. But the idea is, for them, this is the most significant thing in their lives. And the people who are involved with that, that's my family. Because when you, con- you find yourself around something common, so wonderful, that's most important to you, those who have that same thing, those are very significant people in your lives. Are they not? Do you not see that reality? It's exactly what he does to us. That we see the value of the Lord and all that he's done for us in the life. And he makes it significant to where this is my family. And we're gonna talk why. Now, you can say, okay, that's probably true. Adam, is that a correct reverse engineering? Well, I'll let you decide. First thing, we are singing to you singing with each other. Look down at the text. Addressing, usually don't address each other. It's kind of a weird translation. We actually sing to one another. (laughs) I don't read song lyrics to you during the, thankfully, Dave is singing and not just reading. Addressing one another in psalms, songs that are in the word of God, hymns, usually something that's written by other people. So it's okay (laughs) to sing songs that are not just the psalms. And spiritual songs, it's hard to know exactly how to interpret that. That could be songs that the Spirit help you write, um, possible, or maybe songs that the Spirit wells up in you that you want to sing. You know, these are possible things. But either way, it's singing. Singing. Like, why do you sing? You ever think about that? Why do we sing? Different cultures have different reasons they sing, for sure. But it seems to be most people will sing because they're happy. I've concluded that, you know, the, you know, his eyes on the spare. We sing because we're happy. We sing because we're free. Like my kids, when I announce that we're having ice cream, sometimes I try to secretly do it, secretly squirrel it away in the freezer and hide it. And so I can kind of reveal the ice cream. And there's often, if I actually succeed, which I usually don't, in keeping it a surprise, there's spontaneous movement and singing that happens. So I'm like, ice cream, ice cream. And this kind of like, and the little ones will do kind of a number. Why? Because it's exciting. It's wonderful. It's special. It's meaningful. Ice cream's always meaningful, right? It is. That's why people buy it, for goodness sake, right? And so why are we singing? Because the gospel has been made wonderful to us. 
Now, what was the song that we sing? I mean, it was just great singing this morning. I hadn't sung that song. Uh, um, and from the ground, you know, I lay in life, uh, lay in the dust life's glory, dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from the ground there blossoms red, life that shall endless be. Isn't that great? That's like really true. And it's great to hear everyone sing. And the spirit animates it. Don't you just love singing? Especially when the truth is just so real and just tears fall. As I get me older, I'm crying more. And it's, just, I, it's just all these things are becoming more and more and more and more meaningful for lots of different reasons. And the spirit's work is to see life and to really understand the gospel. It is a cause for singing. Sometimes lamenting this life that's not the way it's supposed to be as you see in the Psalms. As things aren't the way they're supposed to be. As we read in the text, the days are evil. Do we sing? The great work of the Spirit is that enables us to see all of life through the lens, I'm sorry, of the gospel. And then we have singing in your heart, the second one. Uh, I looked through this Greek phrase and just did my little computer program and made the search for in your heart and look at all the communication verses that have this phrase with communication. And it's almost always to yourself, either muttering, possibly. But it's not said to someone. It's said to yourself. Like Jesus, when Simon, he was with Simon, he said, he said in his heart, if this man knew what kind of woman this was and who he was touching, he wouldn't do that. And it says Jesus answered him. It's funny because Jesus knows what the guy's thinking. Because the guy's thinking this. He's not going to insult his guests like that. It's like, you only knew Jesus. He didn't. He kind of said it to himself. He literally said it in his heart. That's the idea here. You sing to yourself. That's weird. That's kind of an interesting idea, right? Making melody in your heart. It's not saying sing with all your heart. They didn't say that in Greek, right? It's this idea of singing to yourself. And I put on there our daydreams change. It speaks of an inner transformation. What do you just, if you have time, what do you use your mind wander tool? The spirit changes you so that you start daydreaming about the Lord, as it were. And it's the same thing as the singing one. It makes you happy, and you can sing. And it speaks of a deep inner transformation. It made me think of mere Christianity when C.S. Lewis, he was talking about that famous line. He goes, you don't know how bad you are until you really start trying to be good. <laughs> and you kind of start taking account, really, of how bad you are. And he says, you don't only realize when you do that that you do bad things, but that you are bad. And he gives this example of when he first, because he's from the Anglican tradition, so they have some like evening prayers, and he was talking about, during his evening prayers, he confessed. He was kind of like talking about all the bad stuff he'd done there that day. He said, oh, Lord, this is not good. And, and most of it, he said, it was being short with people. He said, that was a lot of what I, I did. I was short with people. I was rude. It's just unkind, you know. And he said, at the beginning, I kind of go, well, I confess that, but he started giving him you know, excuses during the prayer, like, I was caught off guard. Somebody caught me off guard, and I said it. And then he thought about that, that excuse. I was caught off guard, that's why I was rude and unkind. And he said, you know, that's a really bad excuse. He says, because isn't almost by definition who you are is when you're caught off guard? <laughs> Which is true, right? It's like when we're at church right now, you know? You try to be consistent in who you are, but there's a lot of things you might give a, yourself maybe a slightly better sheen at church when correcting your kids than correcting your kids at home when no one's around, right? You might have a different sheen. There's lots of reasons that we do things because maybe, or we don't do things, maybe just because we're afraid to get caught. That's why Jesus judges the heart, Right? That's why Beatitudes, you know, if you lust in your heart, well, it's the same because it's a place where we, we always think there's no consequences. We tend to. Of course there's not. But this idea of when no one's looking, you daydream about the gospel and what it means in that particular situation in your life, it changes you from the inside. You're caught off guard singing. Isn't that interesting? That's what a life is being filled by the Spirit. Same thing, lens of the gospel. Giving thanks. It says in there, look at the text, it says, addressing one another, giving thanks always. Um, sorry, just, 
Losing my spot. Giving thanks, verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything, this Trinitarian prayer, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, empowered by the Spirit, right? And so we have a joyful recognition of receiving. It's Thanksgiving, right? So this kind of worked out well, right? It's a recognition that we are all welfare recipients, right? That we receive who we are, our life is sustained by not ourselves, by someone else. And it shows the idea that it takes a great work of the Spirit for us to not be self-sufficient and to not think that we are ultimately in control of everything that we have and that we give thanks. It says, for all things. And it's not talking about, you know, like a little, sometimes your two-year-old may pray, they may pray, Lord, thank you for the butterflies and thank you for the carpet and thank you for that light up there that's burned out and thank you for, you know, my shoes. You know, it's not thinking for all things but this idea of all circumstances, positive and negative, that come into our life. That thankfulness can come. It's not a forced thanks demanded by a grumpy God but a glad-hearted recognition for all things in our life, both positive and negative. There's a sovereign God assumed in this. I mean, if you pay off your house early or pay off your house, why don't you come and thank me? Because I had nothing to do with paying off your house. (laughs) Right? I didn't make a payment. Maybe if I made half the payments, you go, thanks, right? But you give thanks for all things for a sovereign God in controlling positive and negative things in your life. It assumes that the most powerful theological statements are the ones that are assumed by Paul. God's in control. And you can thank him for all these things and through all these things. And I add in here, because that's kind of callous, you can kind of say, you don't really know what's gone through in my life, Adam. And I don't. And I don't think this is always instant either. This is something that can be learned over years looking at your circumstances. And some of these circumstances will never find a resolution this side of a new heaven and new earth. They don't. People die. The estranged one dies and you never make up with them. Or this disease kills you. Happens. So how do we do do that? I'm going to say this. If, If our lives are filled with the Spirit... It's giving us, um, sorry, bad wording. We can have power to see sometimes after and through years over many years that our lives are not just despair and anxiety and grief forever. But we see the end from afar. Remember that passage in Hebrews? I love it. It's talking about the patriarchs that said the inheritance they were going to see, they welcomed it from afar. Great image, right? It's out there. I see it. Come. Hey, welcome. And that's what you're doing with the new heavens and the new earth. You taste it when you sing the songs this morning. You taste it when you hear the word of God. When you see God's graciousness through the circumstances in your life. Even if they're wretched, you can give thanks We see the end from afar and see that it will be well for us in the end. And if it's not all well, then it's not the end. Because that is the story. The Christian story is not a tragedy. You ever read like Hamlet or Macbeth? I read Macbeth the other day. Everyone's dead at the end, right? It's a tragedy. Everyone's dead. But in the comedies, the literary theory, what is it? There's a wedding at the end. Christian story is a comedy. There's a wedding at the end. We're joined together forever, perfect, and all sad things become untrue. And they talk about all the history of humankind. It's mentioned, I think in Revelation, the former days. Wouldn't that be great if all our history classes are just, well, that's just the former days. Okay, we're done. That's the way it's going to be understood and categorized in the new heavens, new earth, the former days. The days of the king have arrived fully. If it's not all well yet, it's not the end. And that's not sappy, goofy preacher sayings. It is solid, more solid than the sun rising. Because the sun will be 
remade. We are a product of our past, but we are more, even more so a product of our future. In other words, what our hope is. What do we see as our great hope? That will affect you how you are. Of course the past affects you. But what you think is good, the good good that you're looking forward to, affects us much more. Okay. So that's the great work of the Spirit. And then we have submitting. And I say serving one another comes naturally by a community defined by receiving an unearned massive gift through ultimate sacrifice. If you see that as Jesus serving you (laughs) through who he is, and who we are, and what he did, then like, it's literally putting yourself under the authority of someone. That's, that's what it is. And everyone's doing that to each other. Outdo one another in showing honor, as Paul would say in another place. We're constantly, if the person needs some money, I give the money. If they need time because they're sad and they're depressed and they're not thinking well, if you help people who are you know, chronically depressed chronically dealing through things, it is, it's, it's, it's a time <laughs> and emotional uh, taxing thing. But you do it. You give. If the gospel is huge in your life, it makes sense. And there's power to do it. As a result is that we serve one another. Okay, so quickly go through, how do we do it? Uh, I want to say it's not by doing these things. Certainly being thankful, certainly singing is helpful, but I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. You get filled by, let it be the Spirit who is filling you, and then that's the result, not the other way around. You don't do to become. Of course it's good, you know, if you're not feeling like it to do it. Sure, I'm not saying that, but it's this idea of this is flowing from who you are, like, like Romans 6. Remember why Paul said, you can't live in sin anymore? Why? You've died to that. It's an interesting argument. You are something different. So how can you keep doing that? That's who you are. And so it's the idea of, let's not get the cart before the horse. It's actually anti-gospel. We don't do to become. We become, by God's grace, transforming us. Then we start doing some things. Or we're reminded of what he's done for us. Now there's lots of things that we can be doing. So it's the spirit that's filling us, and not other things. Reading your Bibles. And most sermons always end in that. Read your Bible. I don't care how old you are. You don't understand it as well or believe it or follow it as well as we could. Are we in regular prayer in which we're speaking God's words back to him and praying and telling him all our troubles and praying for all sorts of things? Are we in genuine, real fellowship? Yeah. Are we? Are you allowing yourself to be known in those fellowships where you can talk about what you're struggling with? These are real things. Are you memorizing scripture? You know, are we, are we involved in these kinds of things? This is something that we could all talk about, but I think there's something a little bit more at hand. Um, and those are true. But let's look at the text. Look a little above. I, I started in verse 15. Now I'm cheeky sneaking it back in here. Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Yes, you read the newspaper, you don't sit there and go or hear the news. I don't think anybody reads newspapers anymore. You read the news or watch the news and then it's like, wow, you know, everything's looking up. Everything's, everything's looking grand on the earth right now. Man, things, this is just arcing towards wonderful things, Right? You don't get that sense, and nor should you. The days are evil. Not in our own hearts. Not just on a national scale. So the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Nor do get drunk with wine, for that will ruin your life. And we have this person who is, uh, or destroy your life, or <laughs> make you, maybe it might be actual rotting in an actual box, because you've died from that. We have this contrast of don't get drunk with wine, be controlled by that, leads to death, but be filled with spirit. And the thing that I was thinking about was the Nazarite vow. Now, I'm not going to say we're going to take a Nazarite vow. I don't think we could actually follow the letter of the law anyways. There's no temple. Um, 
But do you remember that? You ever read that? I, I have a Bible reading program and I read through numbers once a year, so I read this once a year. And it's kind of this interesting vow that's in the Old Testament where the person, it's voluntary, man or woman can take it, it says. Completely voluntary, you don't have to do it, it's not required, but if you do, here's the rules. And in that, there's basically three things you do. All right? You don't cut your hair, you let it grow out. You don't drink any wine, you don't eat any grapes. By golly, you don't even touch the skins of grapes, it says. All right? No grape, no alcohol, nothing. And then the third one is, um, you don't touch dead bodies. Okay. It's kind of an interesting thing. You're like, wow, that's, that's great. This is really helping me out in 2023, right? Why in the world is this weird thing in there? And then it's like, if you accidentally touch a body, well, here's the rights that you have to go through to get yourself cleaned. And if you don't, you, it's completely voluntary the length of time that you want to do it. And so what you do, uh, at the end, there's you know, sacrifices that's given. And the hair that you grew... During that time, you cut off, and you actually, it's a part of the sacrifice. It's the only bit where you see, at least that I know of, where human, a part of a human is actually a part of the sacrifice, right? And then you're clean, and then you can go about your normal life after that. And you're like, wow, that's interesting. And then it moves on. You're like, wow, that's, that's great. Now, if we kind of dismiss that, we would kind of be missing something extremely as far as discipleship and growing the Lord, completely, very, very significant. Now, I'm not saying doing that, but what the whole right and everything is representing. I remember when I was in Dallas, I uh, got my hair cut at Mike. I was the only non-Hispanic guy in the whole area, in the whole, you know, uh, clientele and barbers, and I loved being there, and he was a good hair cutter. He was talking, and I was going through a, the previous month or two, I think it was two months, just gone through some difficult things in life. And I saw him like cut off my hair and just saw it laying on the ground. And I was sitting there looking at my hair going, man, I was thinking about my, I said, like, that hair's seen a lot. Because it kind of represented all that was going on in my life, right? And that's kind of what the hair in the Nazarite vow is. It's just kind of represents your time in which you are, it says in there in the text, holy to the Lord given to him, for him, like your life is dedicated to him. And he picks out two things. What's the, what's the drug, by the way, in, in ancient Israel? What's the only drug? I don't think they smoke pot. Wine, right? Alcohol, that's what they used. And so you are in no way even close. You don't even touch the skins of grape. You can't get drunk by eating skins of grape. But you don't have anything to do with that that will bring you into addiction and ruin your life. Sounds a lot like our text, right? Nor, so what am I turning away from things that brings addictions of all kinds? We have much more complex drugs nowadays and much more variety. And it's not just substances. And how am I turning away from the world that is marked by death? You don't even touch a dead body. The world that's temporary. The days, as Paul might say, that are evil. How much are we being influenced by those around us, by this world that is marked by death and sin? How much are we for the Lord? How much are we turning away from sexual addictions, substance addictions? I mean, eating too many embers. I mean, there's just, there's just endless, endless desires for praise, endless desires for control, anger, all these things. What are we turning away from? in this world that's marked by death. Remember in 1 John? It says, turn away from the world, remember? Do not love the world or any things of the world. He doesn't say because it's really bad, right? It is bad. Or that's going to be under judgment, which it will be. And it's kind of implied in there. The idea is a temporal category because this world is what? Passing away. But he who does the will of God, what? Abides forever. Passing away forever. Is our life marked by the people of these days of evil? Are we putting ourselves to where it's the spirit that's filling? Finish this statement. Okay, so what I'm, uh, in what way am I allowing the things of the spirit in my life? Meditating his word, prayer, being significantly involved with other believers. You can ask yourself that. And even right now, 
you're kind of thinking of the thing that you probably need to change about if you're like me. <laughs> because that, I, I know, I think about it all the time, it seems. It's on my mind. What can I turn away from? Not because you're losing something. No, that's so that you gain. So that you're filled by something else that will not lead to a rotting destruction because it does over time when you know it. If you've been married long enough, you know little sins will just destroy you. They will not be kept quiet, ever. They don't, I know. <laughs> and I've known, of course, so many friends. What can we turn away from? To be filled fresh with life. All right, finish the phrase, garbage in, garbage out, right? And I would add, serving self to a great degree, death out. So, I would say, let it be the, make, so, make it so that is the spirit that is filling you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for life. We're thankful that you invite us to turn to you. Um, and even our desire to be turned to you is empowered by you. So we pray that today. We pray that we, um, in our lives, what we think we're going to do this afternoon and tonight when it's quiet, how can we change? How can we make it that it's not these other things, okay in general as they may be, that might be coming too great or things that are just downright against your will? Lord, help us to see that we give up nothing when we give those things up. That the lies they tell us are not true. That if we give them up, we will die or lose out somehow. Help us not to believe them, that we gain everything through turning to you. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.